Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside soccer journalist and Italian Syria expert and aficionado, which I think is actually an Italian word. Not sure. I'll have to check with him. Sam Griswold. And our media executive, our very own media executive right here, the former mighty might of the midfield, and now just a shadow of him, his former playing self, <laughs> as bits and pieces of his body continue to fall <laughs> off during casual, small-sided pickup games, Grail Hallett. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. And by Ticket IQ, the fastest and cheapest way to buy tickets. When MLS comes back, folks, that's where you go to get your uh, last-minute ticket needs. Today on OTB, high school soccer coach and former coach of the year and prize-winning soccer writer Dan Wu will be joining us. A great, great guy. It'll be nice to get caught up with Grail. I mean, Grail, I always get caught up with Grail, but with Dan, because Dan's been a been a uh, guest on the show before, uh, has dedicated his life to this game, and it'll be interesting to catch up with him and to check in and to see how he's handling coaching these young athletes during the corona pandemic. Uh, so, guys, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Sam? Yeah, well, first of all, aficionado is not an Italian word, I don't believe. I'll have to, I'll have to look up where it is. Spanish or Latin, maybe? Yeah, Aficion- no, I, that's why I asked. I said I'm going to ask my Italian expert <laughs> if I had to ask. You know, English, you barely, be, you barely speak English, Grail. Long but aficionado has got to be Italian. It's got to be Italian or Spanish. I was going to go with Latin. French, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll do a little research at the break. Um, anyway, what I'm over this week is, um, well, actually you guys can, you know, I don't know if I'm over it or not, but it's kind of an interesting story. So this morning I was reading soccer America. I saw a little ad in the corner for something called kick it, which I don't know if you guys have heard of, but it's essentially soccer badminton where you Mm -hmm. kick a ball with, you know, these little, like a shuttlecock kind of thing over a net. Um, and my initial reaction was to think it was another sort of cheesy American invention, you know, trying to replace just going out and kicking a ball in the backyard, which always gets me very angry, um, right. especially when it's some kind of commercial thing. But I did a little research, looked into it. Apparently, this is a game that's been played uh, since about 2000 years ago in China. It's called Zanzi oh, in Chinese. Um, it's the national sport in Vietnam which has won 10 straight world championships. Um, It's a little bit like hacky sack, uh, but, you know, the thing's actually bigger. It's kind of got one weighted side and feathers coming out the other side. Um, And it actually looks pretty cool, and it's getting more and more popular in Europe too, especially in places like Germany uh, and in Serbia. So maybe not as cheesy as I originally thought. Uh, you know, I got nervous there because they're so what an are you advertiser. Over? What are you over? <laughs> well, no, I was going to be over this sort of, you know. Ch- I, yeah, yeah. He got over it. You got to listen, Grail. He got <laughs> over his own getting <laughs> over it. Yeah. a little complex. <laughs> well, but, you know, I was getting nervous there because they're, you know, they advertise with one of our sponsors. And I was like, oh, where's he going with this? It actually is a good thing. You know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Eddie Lewis, former U.S. men's national team player. One of his tricks of the trade was basically to – uh, learn how to trap, shoot, volley, everything with a tennis server. So he'd go yeah. to his parents' tennis club, load up the balls on the far side of the court. The balls would shoot over. He would just trap, and he said it helped his his foot out coordination sure. and uh, and helped it. So I I like this because it's all about you know the foot eye and sort of uh, you know uh, kind of gleaning that and making that even um, you know more important. And I think you know 
for the kids. We need more of this. Less, less van time and worried about who gets an orange and a trophy and we're knocking it around and, and, and doing things. So uh, I, I'd like to see it. I'm yeah. going to get one. Maybe we'll get a couple because we're, uh, they're one of our sponsors, Soccer America. Yeah. We'll yeah, see if they've got, go. what are they called? Shuttlecocks? Kick it is the name of the game. Kick it. Yeah. That's not what it's called in Vietnam, I would imagine. I, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's, maybe we'll call it aficionado ball. Yeah. Grail, what do you got, man? What do you got? Well, for, well first of all, I'd like to give props to our resident historian, Sam Griswold. I didn't realize that he also he was going to reach 2,000 years back into the Min Dynasty. Well, we could have checked that out just by looking at your yearbook. <laughs> So uh, what I'm over, and I've been over, I've been over this man many times. It's easy to be over him. Um, I'm over Jose Mourinho weighing in <laughs> objectively about um, anything pertaining to COVID-19 because he recently came out and said that it would be a public service to get the Premier League back in action. And um of all the things I, I could use as an argument, I don't know that public service would be one of them because you still have the players very mixed in the league about when to come back. Meanwhile, Jose, who's the most self-centered man in global football, is just like, yeah, we got to come back as public service. I would love to see you and Jose meet oh, up yeah. someday. It's amazing. Someone's like my buddy, Alexi. If Alexi sees you, I told feel free to body slam Grail if you'd like. <laughs> Alexi and I got along very well when he was on the show. Absolutely, because he was right in front of you. But I got to mention Mourinho. You know, look, great players, great coaches have incredible egos, right? That's part of yeah. the reason why they become the players they become. Mourinho has one without a doubt. But yeah. the one uh, – but I don't know if he's an intellect. And uh, – you know, the great coaches are, uh, they manage the way they manage players and, and league standings. And if you looked, when they asked uh, Jurgen Klopp about coronavirus, he's like, why are you asking me this? I'm yeah. a soccer coach. Yeah. And I thought it was the greatest answer because it's like, it's like we're watching on a national stage with our president. It's like, can we listen to the scientists? Let them tell us the best information they have, not hope, wishes, or dreams, or the negative or the pot, just the scientific truth and so when you ask a guy like Mourinho to come up with an answer about the corona pandemic uh I just blank out I, I just don't care yeah and I, and I think guys like Klopp and Lampard are much more progressive and guys like Mourinho remember when that rape uh racist incident happened between Spurs and Chelsea and Mourinho just kind of dismissed it like it wasn't a big deal you know so I've, again I just think he's he's kind of behind the times on a lot right. of issues and just kind right. of tone deaf, frankly. Yeah, I think a lot of, uh, you know, there was a changing in the guard. You definitely saw the way yes. that the, the manager used to have more control. I mean, this has happened in, uh, you know, the NBA here in this yeah. league, which is like you have these star players, these huge contracts. They're getting them younger and younger in, in uh, European football and world football. Uh, it's tough to control a 17, 18-year-old kid when he's got a couple million dollars, a couple million pounds in the bank, you know, euros. So, uh the coach has not the end all be all anymore. And I think no. someone like, like uh, Mourinho sort of struggles with that. Uh, my, my beef this week, I'm over. Um, and it kind of uh, goes to what um, Sam was saying. I I'm over people saying, Oh, my kid's not going to be able to develop his skills because he can't go to practice the development academies. or think the high school, whatever it is, it's like use this time right now to go in the backyard of your mm -hmm. house or on the street or in the alley and play 
play 24-7. Look, Grail, you spent a couple of years in England yep. coming home from school. All you do is play with the neighborhood kids. So you play with your brothers and sisters. Just yep. start to re, you know, rethink how you approach this. Whole thing. Well, I'll tell you what I did, Flinny, is I played a lot with my older brother, Pete, in the backyard in England. But what I did a lot by myself is we had very uh, kind of heavy wood and garage doors. And I would spend an hour just banging the ball against the wall, the doors, and reacting to the different angles that it came back at. You know, something as simple as that, you know, working on your touch, working on one timing the ball, things like that. You're right. You can do that stuff on your own. Right. Uh, Well, no, you're you're talking about the the tennis backboard was is your best partner, man, Uh, you know, for for everything. So uh, so that's what I'm over. So I'm hoping – uh, we're going to talk to Dan Woog in, in a little bit. And Dan's been a coach since 1975. Uh, you know, he's seen the ups and downs. I mean, that's right when sort of Pelé came and, and this resurgence of soccer started. Or not even resurgence. I think it's just sort of the initial uh, thing that, that happened. So, um, and the changes that have happened. So maybe if we can look for something positive in this coronavirus, this pandemic, is perhaps we're all reevaluating the love of our families, of our country, of, of science, you know, and on a very smaller level, sock, but it, it, it does represent so much more. Get outside, get some fresh air in your quarantined area or neighborhood, and, um, and, and develop some skill during this time. Yeah, yeah don't go out into a public space with other Spurs players, though. I would say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> that get back to Mourinho. <laughs> hey, Sam, he always comes back to Mourinho, doesn't you knew, he? You knew that I would be coming back. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you'd be heartened in the town I live in, which is a big soccer town. It's a big Latino population. I mean, I've been out every day walking, and uh, there's kids I see literally just jogging on the street, you know, kicking a ball. Um, nice. and you know, right. so I think people are, some people anyway, are taking advantage of the time or at least finding ways to be creative about, about playing. Um, but to go back to, uh, your point, Grail, about Mourinho also, I, I mean, to, to, you know, take everything, take Mourinho out of the equation. I still wonder how I would feel, you know, watching a game if a league came back, because, you know, there's part of me that obviously wants the structure and wants something to watch, but. I don't know if I'd feel sad, you know, watching a game in an empty stadium. I don't know how, you know, talking about a public service. I don't, I just don't know how I would react to that and how people in general would react to that. Well, let's get, let's go over that a little bit. I was going to talk about basically uh, the NCAA, but uh, I think to talk about these leagues, let's give a little update on what's happening. Um, the Dutch league and the French league, uh, Ligue 1 and uh, Ligue 2, they have ended their seasons. Grail, you followed that story pretty closely. Yeah, yeah. So the Dutch league has decided to uh, not award uh, the title to Ajax, even though they ended up having more points, or they were, they were. Yeah, I think they were maybe one point ahead of AZ. But uh, so, do you do you agree with them? Uh, I, I I do. Um, I, I agree. I agree just on a blanket statement of actually closing down the leagues for this season. I think they should all be shut down and they should resume uh, late August or whenever you can and, and finish the season. My, 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 my ideal scenario is finish this season mm-hmm. at the beginning of next season, take a week off and then start the new season. But, but, but versus, versus trying to, you know, jam a bunch of games into the next you know, month or so, I would rather have them just shut it down. Yeah, here's the problem, though. We're talking about the the pandemic and about spikes. So it's still spiking now, and they're talking about the spiking in the fall that would happen here domestically. 
Um, and that's going to happen all around the world. So we launch a new season and the same thing happens again. We have to shut down again. And I think the biggest question for some of these leagues that are wrapping up is what do you do with the standings? Liverpool's finally winning the league by a big margin. And, you know, if it ends now, they're going to have an asterisk next to their name. It's like they didn't win the season, you know, uh, relegation promotion. Do you, do you consider that? Do you freeze it at the way it is? I mean, there's a lot of questions and a lot of money. And I think, yeah. I think the big money issue is creating a lot of moronic ideas because basically right now, nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. It's got to be, it's kind of got to be day to day. So the Dutch yeah. and the French have pulled it out. They've, yeah, they've decided they, that's it. If, if they did decide to close down, shut down the EPL for the season, then I would have no issue giving Liverpool the trophy, the league trophy, and then kind of freezing whoever's in the top four goes through to champions, the, the other, the five and six go to UEFA. And then the, unfortunately the people that are bottom three, you know, they go down. Um, but, uh, but, but again, that wouldn't, my first choice would be just cancel the season now and say, we're going to pick it up in August, September and finish right. the nine games, the nine matches that are that are left. And you're also talking the difference between the premier league where, where Liverpool's ahead by so many points, Oh yeah. but you know, some of these other leagues, like you mentioned, they're, they're a point or two differential between yeah. it. Yeah. But, so. I mean, that, that, that all, that's just the title. I mean, you got to think about it like in France. So they've yeah. given PSG the title and they're 12 points ahead and, yeah, they were probably going to win. But, you know, they also decided two teams were going to be relegated, the bottom two teams. The mm-hmm. third bottom team, which usually plays in a playoff with, um, a, you know, a second division club, is going to get to remain in the league. But I think those are almost the more, the more pressing questions. Um, you know, imagine not being in the league next year. And yeah. You well, right. chance of surviving. Huge um, everybody's going to cry foul. Everybody's going to cry foul. So, yeah. I think, you know, you, you wonder if there should be some sort of, uh, FIFA mandate or something. And then to your point, Flinny, about, you know, spikes, the Bundesliga, Germany was way ahead of everybody. And they were back. With the to, coronavirus. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they were back to training and all that stuff. And all of a the sudden, there has been, since they've loosened the social restrictions um, in Germany, there have been, uh, there's been kind of resurgence in cases. So now the question I think is, and I don't know that they've come to a decision, is, are they going to shut down the Bundesliga again? I don't know what's going to happen. But you're this right. Is, it's very that, that was my old point there because, you know, here, like, again, I can say domestically, we're talking about a spike in the fall. And we're still in the middle of the spike here for this yeah. one. It's not even subsided yet, so I don't know. Um, you know, Italy is so bizarre to me sometimes, Sam, and that's your, your, your wheelhouse. Yeah. It, you know, it's just um, – they're going to start training in May now. Well, I mean, they, they've they've been given the green light to return to training on May 18th. Um, that's from the government. There's still, you know, the sports minister who also has a say. He's not that optimistic about that happening. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we get an update every day, it seems, on what's going to happen. And really, no one knows. I mean, look, you know, I think if they wanted to take this seriously in a certain sort of way, if you want to complete a season, right? How many games are left in Syria ah, that are unplayed? 12 games. Yeah. Wow. So that's, let's say, let's say that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of games, man. Um, Cause I was saying, even if you played three a week with rotating, I mean, they were talking about five substitutions to sort of alleviate physical, you know, uh, getting there. worn down. Um, the problem is if you have all these players, I, I could say containing these players, you know, we laughed at that one where we were going to say, okay, they're all going to go to Rome. 
and they're just going to play in room. And if they're all sequestered, if they're all quarantined, I get it. For, for one month, you don't see your families and you don't see anyone else. Mm-hmm. And you just stay. The teens all stay in one certain area and they don't leave. If they want to do that, then they have to do that because they, they, you, know, you can't play in a game and say, all right, there's no people in the stands. And then all the players go home. You know, we talked about that last week. What was that yeah. game in Italy that, that just that game had like 13 people came down with Corona? Well, I think somebody did a, an analysis and they said for a regular game, I, I, maybe it was a Bundesliga game, I can't remember, it would require about 300 people between players, coaches, stadium personnel, security, et cetera. So there's still a really good chance of people right. getting the totally. virus. I mean, totally. that's, the, that's the problem is – you know, just because the stadiums are empty doesn't mean that there aren't people working there. Right. Uh, so it's, yeah, I, again, I'm, I would, I get that everybody's in a different position and FIFA can't really mandate anything because UEFA will be like, hey, FIFA, you know, screw you. Yeah. You don't tell Or Germany will say that or yeah, Italy, exactly. you know, you know exactly. with, uh, with politics. But PSG, they held a 12-point lead. Uh, and they've they've won the league. They've been awarded the league. Uh, Toulouse and Amiens is uh, two bottom clubs, and they're going to be they're going to be re- relegated. So enough of that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's again, it's like us, all of us, trying to plan our summers, trying to plan our falls. Kids going to college, uh, jobs when they come back. No one knows exactly. We just know that we're in for a really weird, long trajectory here on how to get over this thing and how to deal with it as we roll out. So, uh, um, Sam, you've been following this story about uh, the Saudis and the takeover of Newcastle, and it's turning into quite a saga. What do you got for us? Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, a little intrigue on this um, end. Uh, So, yeah, basically, um, it was revealed that a few weeks before the bid came in from uh, the Saudi-backed bid came in for Newcastle, mm-hmm. um, that the Premier League had actually asked. Um, sorry, no, uh, yeah, the Premier League had asked the United States, the Office of the United States Trade Representative, in February, um, to you know put the Saudis on a priority watch list because of how they were allowing this um, piracy to go on. Um, with, right. We, we uh, mentioned that last uh, week, right? We last week. Yeah. Yeah. The which piracy, is a lot of money. Piracy of being, being, sports. Yeah, being sports. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately they're now in a position where they have to sort of pretend this didn't happen, um, which now everyone knows it did uh, and, or not let this takeover go through. And I don't know, I don't, you know, clearly someone's going to be really upset um, with whatever, however this plays out. I wonder, and Grail, this falls into your sort of wheelhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. Would there be a difference between being sport, being sports owned by what? Cutter? Uh, yeah, the government of Qatar. Qatar. I mean, and it. You and know, you're and talking- Qatar, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia basically don't even talk. Saudi Arabia basically cut off. Pardon the pun, Qatar. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so they're they are just uh, they don't even talk to each other. Basically. Yeah, and the Saudis chopped up a journalist, so there's no reason they wouldn't pirate some soccer games. Uh, you know, yes. just to, to, in the scope of things, it's nothing. But here we're talking about the pressure of all these leagues getting back, being pressured to come back and play. Why? Because of money, because of the yeah. television rights, well, the because TV of the broadcast contracts, rights. Yeah, and the teams are just really freaked out about. It. They've already gotten the TV money, so they would essentially have to be writing a check back to the networks. Uh, which none of them want to do, which is the whole idea behind playing at all costs. So my question to you, Grail, is if this was NBC that was being pirated, would they have a stronger hand? 
when they're dealing with this? Or is basically the Saudi government saying, hey, you're, you're being sports, you're cutter, we don't even deal with you, so we're going to show your games? Uh, yeah, well, they, they basically just did a workaround. They were able to basically steal the feed and just, uh, they've kind of, they've, they've denied it. But uh, I think oh, they said, denied it really. Oh yeah, no, no. But I'm just, <laughs> they no, denied but cutting up the journalist. <laughs> exactly. They, like, we have video and everything no, else. No, forensics. Cutter has Cutter has proof. It's common knowledge that they've been pirating BN right. and they're doing you know. So they're basically showing it free. So it's all you know. It's all it's all money that Cutter could be making. Right. And uh, you know, and Saudi's attitude is yeah, too bad. Well, so Sam, to your point, it seems like the Premier League is the one that will have to make this decision. And hopefully, you know, again, my dad used to say, do the right thing, not the easy thing. Or the easy thing would be to just take the money and look the other way. But uh, if they want to protect basically the integrity of broadcasting rights, uh, mm -hmm. they, they need to step up here. You, you have to play ball. I mean, this is what I've always said about the World Cup and FIFA, which is you have an incredible uh, ability to leverage people's behaviors. You know, you have these countries where people are dying in the construction of stadiums. You have the ability to put pressure on these people. Just don't say, well, it's another country. We, yeah. we can't do yeah. anything. So. Well, ironically, the country where people are dying. Yeah, it's Qatar. Stadiums is <laughs> Qatar. So. And, 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 the, yeah. and the Newcastle supporters are so desperate to get rid of Mike Ashley, their current owner, that I think, you know, some of them are willing to just turn a blind eye to all the stuff Saudi Arabia has been doing and just, just, just get new money in there. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping yeah, so they're going to become like the next man city. Cause obviously Saudi Arabia is going to have unlimited an unlimited capacity to invest in the team. Right. Uh, you know, but I think, look, Sam, there's been a formal, like you said, there's been a letter from the trade representative, the United States trade representative, uh, you know, uh, the premier league said the Saudis are enabling this piracy. So uh, the governments are involved and people know. So let's see if, uh, if they actually do the right thing. All right, guys, one more thing before we get, uh, get on to our interview with Dan Wu, the high school coach of the legendary program in Westport, Connecticut. Uh, speaking of NCAA rules and regulations, they have rejected the blanket waiver for D1 men's soccer. So that's not good news. As you know, uh, we had Paul Kennedy's uh, on a couple of weeks ago, we talked about his article, uh, 27 conferences were seeking emergency relief to waive D1 requirements for a minimum number of sports per school. Uh, the you know, men's soccer programs have put out a, uh, uh, you know, we're looking for a waiver because they thought that uh, they'd be the first to take the hit. And uh, it, rejected, it was rejected by the NCAA. So once again, the NCAA is not uh, doing things in our best interest. So, um, so guys, you know, I mean, there's that story. We're all worried about what's happening with high school soccer, development academy. Um, we'll have Dan Wuga on in just a bit. I mean, mm -hmm. it's going to affect how high school operates. And um, I, I hope this isn't a death knell for, for colleges. What do you think? Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully U University of Cincinnati isn't uh, like one of the first uh, men's college soccer programs to go under. I mean, it uh, it would be it would be a terrible thing, and I think, you know, my my concern is once they go under, do they ever come back? Right. It's kind of like you know anything in this post pandemic thing. I think once it's gone, it's going to be so hard to get it back that we got to just hold on for dear life. You know, we're like I said, we're going to have uh, Dan on, and he's a coach at the uh, you know Westport, Connecticut Staples. They had a legendary program. They're they're still they still pump out good players, good you know good results, but they have a football team now. And I remember playing Hartwick when I was in college. They were they were fantastic. And you'd go to this, 
you're playing those games and it would be packed, thousands of people, because it was the only game up there. They didn't have uh, American football up there. Yeah. Now they do, and they're not a national prominence as they once were. Well, I, I had to play against Staples in high school, and I went to Greenwich High, and Staples mm-hmm. was the by far the dominant team in Connecticut, and uh, they, their soccer team was bigger than their football team. Would soccer you guys just, was uh, at Staples High. Would you guys go to the school, Greenwich and Westport? Would you go in a bus or would you go in a limo? How would you guys travel? <laughs> we went in one of those yellow school buses, Flinny. Oh, it was, sure we you was, did. We were those Lamborghinis. But, that, but that, that program that was built by Albie Leffler, the uh, legendary Staples High School soccer coach, was just unbeatable. We beat them my senior year. It was like we had won the Super Bowl. It was just incredible. But they, right. they won the States every single year back then. I see a lot of their players play in college when I was still a, a youngin. The Hunters and uh, the Murphy brothers, uh, the Noonans came out of there. So a lot of yeah. a lot of players. I guess it's all brothers. A lot of brothers coming out of there. Good you want to be a good player? Have a brother to all beat Irish you up. Bro- all Irish brothers too. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. So uh, so all right. So let's uh, let's uh, uh, take a break here, and we'll come back with Soccer Americas and uh, Westport, Connecticut's Dan Wu. Our next guest is not only the head coach of the legendary Staples High School soccer program, notable for producing state championships, uh, but also pumping out a boatload of college and professional players, including uh, former U.S. men's national team's Kyle Martino. In 1991, he was also National Soccer Coaches Association's named him uh, Coach of the Year. Very impressive. He's also written extensively about the game. His writing career includes t- uh, 12 national awards from professional soccer reports association for his work with one of our sponsors soccer america dan's memoir we kick balls we kick <laughs> balls that's the name of the title of this of the book we kick balls true stories from the youth soccer wars it is an insightful look back at his coaching experience all the way back from 1975 through today which means he's really old like us uh, and if that's not all in his spare time dan is also the united uh, soccer coaches advocate on the advocacy council He's uh, founded the organization for the LGBT, and I'm going to ask him about Q, if I add that in there, Allies Group, six years ago. And if that is not enough, uh, what else? He's, I, I can't believe we even got this guy on the show. He's a busy man. Welcome to Over the Ball, Dan Wu. Dan, how are you? There's no place I'd rather be than here right now. Good. I tell you, you know, I could have gone on forever with your, uh, with your credentials here, but we have a show to do, so we got to get to it. Um, a great two-part series in one of our sponsors, Soccer America, you wrote. Uh, and it, it kind of really hit. It was the opening line you wrote, Dan, which, um, you know, they say, and I remember in my English writing classes, that's the most important sentence. Um, right. But here it is. It says, in the best of times, high school soccer coaches uh, is a trainer, a tactician, a teacher, a psychologist, a nutritionist, a guidance counselor, a mentor, a parent, a friend, and a guide. And these are not the best of times. I mean, that really hit me because – Athletics were so much a part of my high school, um, you know, growing up in existence uh, um, where you learn so many things, delayed gratification and working together as a team. And it was my everything playing on my team. And here coaching these kids and they're on their senior year, uh, you're, you're trying to get into colleges. You're trying to teach them to be better players, better teammates, better people. And then this happens. How, how has that affected your whole since 1970 philosophy of coaching kids? Yeah, it, it is unfathomable 
I mean, we've, you know, we've spent our years, our, our careers as coaches doing things a certain way, uh, talking about all the, the values of, of, of the game and everything that kids get out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and now it's been upended. Um, soccer attracts a certain type of kid, very creative, independent, uh, worldly type of kid, but by the game it is. Um, and, and they get so much out of it beyond just the ball and the, and the goal. Right. Uh, and, and now all now we can't be with those kids. You know, we're doing zoom conferences and we're telling them to, you know, juggle in the basement. Um, it, it's astonishing. And, and as we're working through it, all I can think about is when we get back together, we're going to be very different coaches. I know I'm going to be a very different coach. In what respect, Dan? You know, I, I, I mean, think about the things that used to matter, the, the referee's calls, right. the, you know, the parent who complained that you played her kid, you know, 72 minutes instead of 75 <laughs> or, you know, the rain out that forced you to change things for 24 hours. That, that stuff is irrelevant. And what we're going to be doing, I think, I mean, I mean no matter what the game looks like coming forward, uh, whether you're playing with no fans in, in, in the stands or you're going to have to have smaller rosters or you can't celebrate by jumping into each other's arms after the game, after a goal. Uh, you know, that stuff is going to change, but so are the needs of the kids. Um, they, they seem to be doing pretty well now. Kids are re resilient. Um, right. But there's going to be some kind of PTSD. I mean, think of all those people who grew up in the Depression. And for the rest of their lives, they were worried about their next meal or, you know, they turned off the sure. light to save the electricity. Um, these kids are going to carry that for a long, long time. And hopefully through soccer, there'll be some return to normalcy, but who knows what normal will be. Yeah. A grill. Uh, uh, so Dan, speaking of that, what's the opportunity from your perspective then to take those thoughts and discuss them and impress them upon not only your players, but also parents. Because God knows parents have their own point of view on a lot of things when it comes to sports. Yeah. And I'm just curious, is there a positive opportunity there? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's a great question. I've always communicated with our kids, you know, in many ways. Um, text group chats, uh, you know, whenever I have to send them something long, I send it by email, but then of course I have to text them to check their email because kids don't check email. But I think now, as I've checked in individually with many of them, uh, I try to do it once a week, and that's the varsity, the reserves, and the freshmen. So it's about 65, 66 kids. Uh, I have found them much more receptive to responding by text. 
and right. you know they've they've talked it. I you know what's going on? I'm checking in. How are you doing? What are you doing new? What you know? What are you trying? What's going on? And and they respond much more in depth. They are eager for the contact, eager to talk, and it's really funny. I I I've told a lot of them. You know, if, if they say they're bored, I say, try something new. You know, pick up your guitar, pick up a guitar or learn how to cook or read. And I thought I was just, you know, saying something I was supposed to say. But I've heard from a number of them that they picked up a guitar. It's like, wow. Here's the it's interesting. You're talking about the parents' experience here and the coaches' experience and the players' experience. I think they're going to be very different, all three. I mean, look, as coaches, we get very frustrated with the parents. They're more supportive than they've ever been, perhaps to a point of yep. too much. And the kids don't take their own journey. I think many of our generation, Dan, not much was asked of us. It's like, this, like the greatest generation with World War II. You mentioned the Depression. Yeah. Um, I think the kids are in many ways are faring better than the adults because uh, this world's been upended, but they're very comfortable with the technology. I mean, imagine if you didn't have the internet right now as this was happening, then I think you'd really yeah. have uh, people freaking out. I think right now it's adults because we can't go back to our lives. These friends of these kids have always communicated via, you know, texts yeah. and because you know, yeah, like you said, emails are almost like smoke signals now to uh, to, to younger ones. But yeah. I think the difference is going to be perspective for the for the young ones uh, to realize that to cherish these times with soccer because it's it's not about just scoring goals and winning games. Uh, it's about your camaraderie and about growing up and about all the life lessons you try to teach these kids. Oh, you you nailed it. Um, and it's really interesting. I I saw the other day. Uh, socially distanced, of course, with our masks on. Uh, a guy that I had coached years ago who, who has a son now playing at a pretty high level. Uh, he did play DA until that got yanked out from him. And I said, uh, he must really miss it. And the father said, uh, you know what? He misses his friends. He misses his teammates. He misses the social aspect. He does not miss the daily regimen, the intense training, mm -hmm. or the pressure. Um, so it's been, you know, sort of a, a, a pause. And, and it, you're right, the kids are reassessing things really well. A lot of the parents, you know, they can't live vicariously through the kids now, so they're bereft. Right. Well, the parents always, of course, want, you know, standing on the sidelines, they want 11 of the players to be center forwards, you know, like, like <laughs> center forwards. But let me ask you this. Now, you, you know, I have always on this show, and I've talked to the boys here about it, I, I, I have a problem with these traveling teams. My, uh, my girlfriend's daughter, every weekend in a van, driving in New Jersey, staying over at a hotel, playing three games maybe, um, when, you know, I felt like you should be juggling the ball in your backyard for hours and your mom throwing a sandwich out every couple of hours, you know, like, do you think this could be a time where kids basically start to play small sided in the backyard with their sisters and brothers? And like, you know, maybe, maybe we can develop more of that skill that's built in the streets, like in Uruguay and Brazil. Absolutely. Once again, you nailed it. You should be a, a podcast host. I should have my own podcast. That's why my name's on it. That's why. <laughs> but but it, it's so true. Um, 
you know, I think that there's going to be, they haven't traveled now for a few, few weeks. They, they haven't done, they haven't been told what to do every second. And when they come back to the field, I think they're just going to be so happy to play with their friends, to play with their buddies, to play with the kid next door who's two years younger, two years older. And, you know, they haven't done that for years because it's all been age related. I, I do think there, or I do hope there will be this uh, sort of going back to the future where they do exactly what, what you said, you know, playing in the backyard, playing for the joy of it. And if they decide to play for their high school instead of the, the X Academy team, um, they'll be doing it for the right reasons, which is playing with their friends for their community and just having a great time with the ball. I, uh, good stuff. I, I love the uh, back, to, back to the Future reference. We'll explain it to Sam. He's the youngest one on the panel here. <laughs> But uh, Grail, you have a question? Yeah, Dan, uh, Staples High School has an amazing alumni soccer network. Uh, I, I've had the privilege of being involved with it, even though I went to Greenwich High. You've been really nice in inviting me to the Turkey Bowl, and I've gotten to know a lot of your alums. And I'm just wondering, because it's such a special group of people that goes back, you know, 40, 50 years, is there an opportunity to almost create kind of a support group? within that alumni network to you, some of your current kids where you got, you know, guys like my age, you know, Jurassic period people that went through their own stuff. And maybe it's just a chance for people to help you as well. You know, people in the network to kind of be, uh, to be an extension of what you're trying to do. Uh, God, we didn't even talk about these questions beforehand, but you're just like feeding me, lobbing me these <laughs> softballs to smash out of the park. The uh, one of the things we've spent a lot of time doing is trying to create that alumni network and hooking kids up with alums for jobs and for colleges and all that. But we recently had uh, a great idea from one of our alums who said, uh, could we make a video of all of us, you know, these old people um, stuck in our homes, you know, just create these little snippets um, wishing the 2020 team good luck from us, the alums, and sort of paying it forward to them, saying we had a great time when we played, hope you have the same good time. And it's a project for the alums. It's a project for one of our kids who is making that video, stitching it all together. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the great game, the chance to connect with people before you and, and be a role model for those who follow. We've seen that at work in college programs. And so I think it should be more prevalent in high schools as well, because it makes a big difference when these kids see someone who's gone through the program, made mistakes. That's the hard part about, you know, growing up is you make all these mistakes. As adults, we know this, we try to teach our kids these things, but sometimes they want to go through it themselves. Uh, but they'll sometimes listen to someone other than a parent to, uh, to get that advice. So uh, they, they listen much more than to a parent or a coach. Right. And right. It's probably to an alumni. Way, sure. Probably the way it should be. 
Sam, you had a question? Yeah, Dan, you mentioned uh, just quickly the development academies for U.S. soccer being shut down. And I'm wondering if you, looking ahead to the moment into the future, you know, think that high school soccer may become, you know, even more relevant as things become more regionalized, more local, uh, you know, going forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think like so much else, a lot of it is uncertain. I've always been a proponent of the DA for the, the real elite players. I often said that the, uh, I thought the MLS clubs should have, should be the academy and it should be a, uh, you know, a real academy, residential and all that. Um, right now, I think we're at a reset point. I think a lot of the clubs really do want to work with high schools. Uh, I, you know, I think there's a reassessing of the landscape. People are stepping back saying, you know, not only are we nowhere closer to being World Cup champions than we were 10 years ago, we might even be further away. Let's figure out how to do it. Let's do it for the good of the game. Let's try to be there for the most number of kids in the best way possible. Um, and, and as with so much else, I, I think there'll be a reassessment and we will emerge from this, you know, in many ways in, in pretty good shape. Yeah, I hope that carries over. You know, it feels like some of the missteps in high school are also happening in college as well. So I'd like to see the sort of a, uh, you know, a change of the whole paradigm with, with soccer. We've always sort of been second-class citizens. We've always just sort of, and now we're this sport that so many kids are playing uh, that it needs to be updated, Every the, just the view of it. Grail, you had a question? Yeah, Dan, um, obviously the financial implications of COVID-19 have been widespread across everything, everybody's lives, jobs, et cetera. Uh, I'm just curious, what are your concerns about the implications in terms of soccer programs, high school soccer programs being able to survive or not. And then also something a little bit closer to home coaches, you know, yeah. because coaches, God bless them, are not, you know, pulling down a million dollars a year to, to, to coach high school soccer. So I'm just curious what your viewpoint is on that. I, I think high schools will be in pretty good shape. Okay. You know, it's, it's not an expensive sport. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, th I think unless there are real financial pressures on school districts, we'll be okay. The fear is uh, with clubs and, as you said, the coaches. Clubs have lost an entire season, a spring season of registration fees. Uh, you know, they've had their, their ongoing expenses for facilities and all that. And coaches, many of whom are independent contractors, have been cut off at the knees. You know, they, they make their money by coaching teams, by doing private lessons. Uh, and, and for some of them, uh, particularly those with immigration issues, they haven't been even, even been able to access unemployment or, or some of those other relief uh, methods. So I think it's really an issue for, for clubs. Um, and, you know, that, that's my concern is, uh, in, in terms of high schools, you know, there, there probably were some coaches who did it uh, for love, uh, certainly not for money. You know, whatever their other gig was, you know, they really cared about the coaching. Now maybe they're not able to coach because 
You know, they don't have that real job where they have to work more hours to make up for it. So those, those are some of the consequences that we'll look at going forward. Well, it used to be a, a teacher was your coach generally, <clears throat> and then, you know, some sort of specialty training and the, uh, the state teams or, you know, I, I think there'll be a realignment, obviously, that there, there can be no other uh, way because of the development academy and then the high school, you know, high school is losing a lot of, uh, a lot of its uh, gravitas as far as soccer. So maybe that comes back. You said that high school soccer <clears throat> will always be protected, I think, because it is cheap uh, to, to play. It's a sport. I mean, what, what I always, and I get the guys get sick of me coming back to this all the time. What always goes back to <laughs> is, what's coming. is the football programs. It's like, why do we talk about the elimination of soccer, a sport that's very popular, cheap to produce, is men and women, and yet the football argument never gets sort of thrown out. You know, Staples is an interesting school because you used to not have a, a football team there, right? And they brought one back. Um, you know, some of the alumni who generally, it, the same thing happens in college. They say, oh, it's the alumni, and it brings people back, and they raise a lot of money. But if you do X's and O's on the numbers themselves, it just doesn't add up. And I, I think well, it's amazing that we never put this in the conversation. It, 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 it should be front and center out there. And, mm -hmm. and, and don't get me started on, on <laughs> However, um, you know, you're right about the college impact. I mean, I've, I've talked to college coaches who have had software put on their uh, computers to track everything they do that's soccer related. So, you know, they feel they have to justify their positions. So the, the future of college soccer is, is really, really up in the air. And of course that impacts high school kids. I mean, think of those high school kids who have played Development Academy soccer for eight years because they were told it was the path to college soccer, rightly or wrongly. And now all of a sudden, the college soccer landscape is changing. So there's so many different things. And all you come back to is it's a great game. It's a fun game. It's a beautiful game. Play it for the right reasons. You know, don't play it for some mythical college scholarship that doesn't exist or Absolutely. Some national team that sucks. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the parents where, you know, I've had friends because of my soccer background. They're like, oh, they're trying to get their son a scholarship. And they spend more money <laughs> trying to get their son to get a scholarship than, than the actual scholarship would be worth. And uh, I, I'm just sort of like, man, uh, if, if that's the reason he's playing soccer, he's, he's probably not going to make it because it's, it's got to be this love, this passion. And like, let's be honest, most kids don't play in college. Most kids don't want to play in college. It's pretty intense. And so to put that, you know, I always notice these, you know, fathers, because we're all frustrated about our athletic uh, history. It's like, I wish I should have done this more. Should have started playing soccer earlier. I should have trained harder. I should have, you know, we all have our frustrations, but to put them on your child is just, it's a form of child abuse. So, uh, yeah. So Sam, you got something, you got something for Dan? Yeah, uh, I like what you mentioned earlier, Dan, about reaching out to your players and encouraging them to try new things and really like the second part of your story where you were discussing, you know, what coaches can be doing to be productive during this time, you know, whether it's online classes, you know, books they can read. So I'm just curious, what are a few of the resources you found especially helpful that, you know, you'd recommend for aspiring or current coaches to have a look at? Uh, well, for, for coaches or for kids? Uh, for coaches. Um, you know, coaches can spend a lot of time uh, looking at game films, you know, looking at great games from the past. Um, 
there are you know all sorts of online resources united soccer coaches has some great ones um they've got podcasts they've got videos they've got online courses um and uh what what i we've been telling our kids you know we don't want them to have all kinds of other pressures we just say you know just you know, go online, look at some great games. What's really interesting, and I thought about this a while ago uh, in this conversation, is that we, we keep talking about soccer, you know, being a major sport in the United States. And I think we're there. Um, you know, we, in, in terms of interest and excitement, I mean, I, I would go to the Y when I could go to the Y, and there would be you know, a World Cup game on or a Sunday morning Premier League game. And that would be on the TV and people would be watching it. Uh, every, virtually every kid at Staples High School played soccer at some point, whether they do now or not. Um, we got football players who played soccer growing up and they all play FIFA. Um, yes. You know, so they know the know the players, they know the tactics, and that I think is how you measure where soccer is in the United States right now. And even if MLS doesn't get NFL numbers, even if the you know it, it, it's not there in the in the TV ratings, it's there in the zeitgeist. And I think that's something you know, Kevin and and Grail that we dreamed about years ago and and now i think it's here sure you know and i i was telling the guys uh, we had bob lee on a couple of weeks ago i was reading a book about joe namath the nfl ratings were not nfl ratings back in the day so uh, we forget about the long history of sports in this country and uh, it takes a long time for things to change uh things seem really good in the soccer world in so many uh, different categories and i think what's happening now is we're going to be up against some of the powers that be some of the infrastructure that's been set, whether it's the NCAA or whether it's NFL college football, uh, you're going up against some big money, but, but things are changing. And certainly you talk about really old people like yourself and grail um, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, oh, and myself, I'll throw oh, yes. myself in there, but, but you know what, and I always say this and I want to end this on a positive note because you know, guys like you have, who have been coaching since 1975, uh, which is which is literally about when I started playing. So you were a young you were a young coach. Um, I started passion, coaching. I started coaching at ten. Oh my God! You're one of those know-it-all <laughs> kids with your glasses and, uh, and a clipboard at ten years old. I know. But you know the the sport, especially when I started playing, did attract a different type of player. The hair was a little longer. They were a little more creative. They didn't like the cigar chomping guy. You know, I, you know, I know when I first made the state team, and I've talked about this before, I, I went to Queens, New York, and stayed with a Haitian family. It was the first, you know, first people of color that I had stayed with. And I learned about Haiti and France and, you know, and the hard-ass father that was there. And I had to go to church with the, It was just, you know, it opened my eyes to this world that was out there. And the entire soccer community kind of embraced that because it's the world's game. So, uh, and it's people like you that actually, uh, have, uh, made a uh, life better for people like myself. Coaches give so much. Uh, my father used to say, give it your all pal. Cause, uh, those guys are, a lot of them are donating their time. The least you can do is give it your, your best shot. And I hate when parents treat coaches as, uh, as cheap daycare. Um, but, but certainly you've, you've dedicated most of your life to coaching and, and writing. And we really appreciate, 
uh, all not only the lives that you shaped, but in a much smaller way for being on Over the Ball with us today. And hang in there with this coronavirus. Keep uh, keep reaching out to these kids. Keep engaging them because uh, one day they'll look back on this as their depression, their World War II, uh, their Vietnam, perhaps. Um, but so we appreciate it, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, it was great to get caught up with Dan Woog. I mean, he's, uh, he's de- like I said, he's dedicated his life to this game, so it's, uh, it's been nice. And it should be interesting to see how this plays out in high schools and in college, right, Sam? Yeah, speaking of colleges, I did a little research in the break, and I'm wondering if you guys can tell me how many NCAA soccer programs, men's, you think there are in the United States? God. Men's soccer programs in the U.S.? Yes, NCAA. 143. I'm going to say two, and now I'm going to say 212. Okay, I'm talking about NCAA here, Division One and. Division oh, Division One. Okay, I'm going to lie. I'm going to say 82. Okay, there are 206 what? NCAA uh-huh. Division One teams, 207 so <laughs> Division Two teams, and 408 Division Three teams for a total of you know approximately 800 NCAA men's soccer programs. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, cost effective and a lot of people are playing and television's mm-hmm. getting bigger, but they're going to turn a blind eye to that as the NCAA continues to be caught in the, uh, in the pre-Cambian era. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this. Hey, you know, one of the, one of the great, um, uh, you know, one of the places to go to see podcasts is The Athletic. They named Kevin De Bruyne the EPL Player of the Year and Robert uh, Lewandowski, Bundesliga Player of the Year. What do you think, guys? I think De Bruyne, man. Uh, he, he's something. He's some player. In fact, De Bruyne does the type of things that, that most people don't notice. Players notice. Yeah, things yeah. off the ball, things on the ball. Uh, his technique is fantastic. His vision is, is amazing. So I really like that one. Yeah, he's, he's, my, he's my favorite player currently in the world. I, I just – I love – you know, you played midfield. I played midfield. He gets the ball. He distributes the ball. He, he assists. He scores. He's fantastic. I mean, I, I just I think he's in the top two, three players in the world right now. So no argument there whatsoever. Ballon d'Or. What was he listed as the Ballon d'Or? Was he he was on that list, right? I don't know if I he, think was he was the last time. Fourth he or been. something. Well, Sam, he, what do you think? Does yeah. De Bruyne you uh, you agree with that? The EPL yeah, he's sure. the best player. I mean, I enjoy watching him. I think he's a fantastic player. I mean, I don't watch nearly enough EPL to say if he's the best, but yeah, boy, great luck with to him. His- Keep grail with his Mourinho and Chelsea mentions and you with your snobby Syria attitude. I do not watch that league. <laughs> this is, this is, he's got badge. Hey, but look, I've been, I've been loving some of these classic games that, we've been, uh, yeah. that have been showing. I mean, it's really great. The Classico is fantastic. To watch Ronaldo and Messi in their heyday, which is you know, kind of maybe coming to an end a little bit, but we've been so yeah. fortunate to uh, watch these great games. All right, so uh, I'd like to thank our guest today on Over the Ball, Westport soccer coach and writer for uh, Westport, Connecticut, that is, and, and Soccer America writer, Dan Woog. We appreciate him coming on. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Soccer America, and also Ticket IQ. For Sam Griswold, the Grail Howlett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.